You're listening to Ritual, a podcast for curious humans, all about creative practices, mindset, and professional improvement. I'm your host, Daniel Lamb, CEO of Holland Creative. Hey, Jacob. Hey, what's up? Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Really excited to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you. Awesome. I will now read your biography for our listeners. Prepare yourself. (laughs) Jacob Deaton is a guitarist and performer of 17 years whose national TV credits include America's Got Talent. Jacob also owns an entertainment company called Shendig My Event, which services the Southeast in providing musical solutions for a variety of events. He's the host of the Southern Wedding Professionals podcast that highlights businesses across the South. Jacob also keeps his finger on the pulse of the music industry through his YouTube channel, Sweet Deed, which speaks about current industry trends. Okay, Jacob, let's dive into this. And before we get into everything, I need to ask you my number one question. What is your ritual? My ritual is... Coffee in the morning. I don't know. I have a lot of rituals, I guess. You know, I think that most people, when they break it down in their own life, that they all have a bunch of tiny rituals that sort of make up sort of who they are. And um, I think if I had to pin just a few of them down here in the moment, having a moment with a cup of coffee in the morning to center myself for the day is one of those. A consistent workout routine always works. And also spending time with music for my own personal reasons, not for any other reason. Between those three things, I think I somehow find my balance. Yeah, that's great, man. I I definitely, I can relate. I can't start my day without a good, strong cup of coffee. More importantly, how do you take your coffee? I make, well, lately I've been doing the V60 pour over. I'm a a bit of a coffee nerd, maybe more than most, just because an ex-girlfriend converted me a long time ago to the cult of buying crazy expensive coffee for absolutely nearly no reason other than the fact that you taste a few notes. (laughs) You know, before I used to be able to drink QT coffee and be just fine with it. And now I'm, or for people who don't know who QT is, that's a gas station chain. But, but now I'm one of these people who goes and spends $17 on a one pound bag of beans and then rations them out accordingly and make sure that the water is 204 degrees before it hits the bean and all this stupid nonsensical stuff that now I can taste the difference. So kind of the curse of the ex-girlfriend there, but overall it's black when prepared correctly. I'd have to agree with you there. Yeah. I, I spent a year or so as a barista between my first marketing gig and my last restaurant gig. And I got to say, this could also be a spinoff podcast about coffee nerdery because <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got my V60 in there. I've got a Chemex, I've got a French press, I've got an AeroPress. I've got Probably some sort of moonshine still that was secretly used by settlers to make cowboy coffee. I don't know. (laughs) It's a rabbit hole, but you're correct in saying that it it is correct when it's uh, black. I had a grinder that I took on the road with me when I did a tour a few years ago for like two months on a tour bus and it was a hand grinder, you know? Oh man. And so like, I would like every morning just, and everybody thought I was insane. And I was because eventually I just went and got my, we had a break on tour and we came back home for like a couple of days before the next month of the tour. And so I snagged my, my automated grinder and took it on the road with me. But for a month I was just like waking up in some random small town at a gas station cranking coffee beans to grind them up 
coarse enough to to do the whole water thing and it hurt your hand after a while. <laughs> For those of you listening, if you've never ground coffee by hand using a hand grinder, you know, a burr mill like that, it takes like three or four minutes to grind up enough coffee to make a pot or at least a good cup. And yeah, you're you're gonna you could easily get yourself into like a tendonitis, tennis elbow kind of situation <laughs> grinding coffee with one of those things because it is labor intensive. Let's jump into this. So you, you've been in the music industry, as you mentioned, for a long time. What were you doing before you got into music professionally? I graduated high school and I went straight into the Air Force. So I did four years in the Air Force, which included a tour for 11 months in the Bosnia-Herzegovina area, mostly in Bosnia, but I bounced around like Croatia, Kosovo, Hungary as well. And I was an airfield manager, so completely different life altogether. So my job was sort of like knowing everything there is to know about an airfield, like pavement strength and how wide certain stripes were supposed to be laid on the pavement and how much, how many feet were to be separated between each stripe or just a bunch of very specific knowledge about an airfield and that that included like FAA and USA US Air Force flight restrictions and codes of conduct and such so it was a completely different life and in 2004 I got out with the intention of playing music and so somehow I found myself to here wow that's a trip so yeah and for listeners who don't know I think you and I met in like 2004 2005 at Atlanta Institute of Music before they added the extra M yeah, so I was fresh out of being in the military at that point and um, just had figured out that I had loved music like leading up to that. I met this guy when I was over in Bosnia. His name was Zlatan Mujeic, I think is how his last name was pronounced. But Zan was so cool. He played piano for all the church services. And if you're not religious when you go into the military and you get deployed, you become religious. I say this all the time because that's the only time you really get a break. Like a guaranteed break is to go to like a place of worship. So I conveniently became religious and then started taking that extra hour off. So I could go to like a, a worship service and this guy I noticed and I would choose a different one every time because it didn't really matter to me. And this same pianist was there for every single one. He was a local that they hired and brought in off base to play for all the church services. So he would play the Catholic mass traditional and then he would do the gospel service and then he would play the like the more contemporary music like the rock and roll kind of stuff and that they're doing now and I was just fascinated with this guy and so he sort of opened the box for me like I started asking him for like quick music lessons like after he was done like we would we established a dialogue first of course and so that turned into us getting lunch every week after one of the services were over with and then he would teach me things about music and I would go and buy him like a jacket or like some jazz records and have them shipped over to the base and then give it to him like I bought him shoes once or shoes for his kids once because they didn't, you know, Tuzla, Bosnia was, it was still in, in areas of it. It still looked like it was destroyed 
like the war had ended yesterday when in fact the war had ended 10 years ago. So, you know, there's still buildings that were like ridden with, you know, shells still stuck in them somewhere. You know what I mean? So it wasn't exactly like the most developed place post-war because Croatia took all their coastline after the war was over with. So their main source of income was to the tourism. So I was able to like give him some cool things for his kids and also for him. And he taught me a little bit about music. And through those interactions, I became fat, like, I was already into music before then, but like those interactions sort of like propelled me to be like, okay, I'm going to get out of the military and try and figure this out. That's, that's really incredible. I don't think I knew that about your story. It sounds like a really intense experience of like, you know, kind of falling in love with it. And so, you know, I've seen a, a big gap between people who are successful and people who fail in music. And it's not always necessarily the most technically proficient or the most passionate people that rise up. So obviously you're really talented, but do you think that the, your military background gave you an edge in the department of personal discipline or drive to be successful in business? Uh, yeah, I would say that it had a very big part of it. You know, part of anything is just, or being successful at anything is just showing up every day. I remember being in the military and it was like 5 a.m. one morning and we were all lined up in uniform. Like it was a random uniform inspection. So we're all standing in line perfect and we're supposed to have like no threads on our outfits and it's supposed to be, you know, all very shoes, super polished, you know, or boots rather, the whole thing. And so we're standing there 5 a.m. You're barely awake because you were staying up all night the night before and working on something that you needed to have done by the next day. And so this drill instructor was walking around and he was looking at people's outfits and he was like, listen, gentlemen, it's just easy to shine when everybody else is dull. Like, just do your job. And so for whatever reason, that stuck with me. Of all the things that I learned in basic training, (laughs) that phrase has stuck with me like through my whole life. It's easy to shine when everybody else is dull. So just put in the work, show up every day, do what you're supposed to do. And with a little luck, maybe some things might happen. Very cool. I really like that statement. You know, it's easy to shine when everybody else is dull. It's worked for me. <laughs> yeah. And so obviously it's it's worked for you in a lot of ways. And so you, you have your hands on a lot of different pies. So how do you balance out time for running your business with the more creative stuff with musicianship, like practicing an instrument or composing new material? And you mentioned making that still a part of your routine and your ritual. I mean, it's hard, man. I mean, it's any any part of my day could be spent solely on one of the things that I do whether it's the my own personal music projects the bands that I represent and own the the agency itself the wedding professionals podcast the sweet deep page which you mentioned and I'm probably forgetting one or two other things but like I mean yeah my day could be literally devoted to one of those things and I try and think of it as this is not a race to the finish but more of like a progression of sorts. Like this is a part, this is just a part of the journey by moving the goalposts incrementally for each one of those things every day. I'm accomplishing the overall goal, which is to continue to show up and to continue to do my best work when I'm focused on that. So like, I, I, I mean, it's, For me, there are days I spend more on one thing than the other. Oftentimes, my own personal love projects are the ones that always get thrown under the bus. If, you know, push comes to shove, that's been sort of like my history. But lately, that's been part of my evolution is like understanding that like those personal projects of mine are important for the balance of my own personal life. And I just feel like that if you're... If you're going to take on multiple things like I'm doing, you just have to be very um, strict about your time and you say, all right, I have an hour and a half to do this. 
And when that's done, wherever I'm at, I'm sticking the flag there and I will come back and pick it up tomorrow and move it farther on down the line. You know, for me, it's just discipline in that in that way. And uh, as long as I'm hyper-focused in the hour and a half that I'm spending, then I feel like I accomplished something. Yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that as well. Being, you know, an agency owner and also a writer and a musician, I completely gel with that. Like you have these competing interests for your attention. And so finding ways to create those boundaries and, and uphold those boundaries is essential. So I appreciate yeah, man, that. it's, it's hard. I mean, like I I'll sit down and I'm like, okay, this is the hour. This is my hour to play guitar and to just do whatever I want to do to be creative. And then that email shows up that you've been waiting for all day long and it blips across your computer screen. What are you going to do? Are you going to compromise the time that you set aside for your personal moment of the day? or at the end of the day or the beginning of the day or whenever it came in, or are you going to put down the guitar, in my case, and answer that email? And then the things that might come from that, which is like an immediate response back, which then might cause you to go down a different rabbit hole. And then next thing you know, you've wasted 40 minutes of the time that you were supposed to spend on your guitar. Of course, there's moments where you have to do that. And we all have clients that we have to to jump for like that. But as a general rule, I try not to. I try to like really be regimented about my time and how it's allocated in my Google calendar that I live by every day. <laughs> Same. The Google calendar is, is essential. Right. And I just think it really comes down to patience too. You know, you got to have a lot of patience, you know, if you're doing a lot of things and there's no real fast forward button on anything, it's just hard work and patience. I think if anything, People can learn. I feel like I, I had a conversation with just somebody last night and I won't disclose their name, but we were, we were talking about just the, the grind and like where we are right now in the world with music and everything. And it's a friend of mine and we were just consoling in each other. And, but I mean, ultimately I, the, the end result of that conversation was it's just patience and showing up every day and not expecting the world to come to you in a day or a week or a month or a year. You know, you just have to have patience in everything that you do. And if it's something that if you're doing something that really excites you, then, you know, you can have that patience really carry you through the, the tough times. Yeah, that really brings up an interesting concept for me. And this this is kind of a little bit off off book here. But I think a big thing that for creatives that comes up, especially if you're a musician or a writer or a painter, is what does success look like? Because there's, there are like so many different ways to define that. And, you know, in society's world, it could be having, you know, a hit record or being, you know, in a museum or, you know, being on tour with someone super famous or whatever it is. How do you look at success? Excellent question, because I feel like that is the question that sort of then, you know, at the tip of the pyramid that sort of then filters down to what's next, you know, and and how you build the pyramid to get to where that is. So success for me at one point when I first started playing guitar and I was new to the world was like, I want to be Bob Dylan. I mean, who doesn't want to be Bob Dylan, right? I mean, you know, or like insert any famous musician there. But as I got older, things changed. You know, I mean, when I was like 15 or 16, I fantasized about being a rock and roll star. When I decided to actually chase after a music career, my first goal was I want to learn how to make money 
being a musician and pay my bills and be a responsible, quote, adult in the eyes of the world and my family and whatever, because I wanted to be respected amongst my family for doing an artistic career that was, it was just very weird for my family because I'm not from a family of musicians. It skipped a couple of generations with me. And so I'm kind of the lone wolf. So they don't really understand it. And it's, you know, there was that whole issue too. So when I got out of music school from hanging with you, it was Man, I just want to make a living. And I quickly figured that out in about 18 months. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was paying all my bills and doing all the things, but I didn't think about it. I was still having this thought of like success. What is it? You know, whatever. And then I woke up like eight years later and I was just like, oh my God, the original idea of what I got into music as far as like getting it to that bar of being quote successful, I had achieved like eight years ago. So now what do I do? At first, the goal was just getting paid to do what I love. And then I figured that out. And then the next thing is like, well, really, what are you here for? Like, what are you doing? So for me, I mean, it's ever evolving. Giving to the people that I love the most somehow through the world that I live in is is probably one of the things that I define success by. I found out very early on that I really enjoyed providing music for or entertainment options for clients, but then also equal, like seeing the client's face super happy with a musical performance that I was in charge of, like really got me stoked. But then also looking backwards at the band that was behind me and seeing that I was paying each one of them three, four, five hundred $500 a gig and seeing how that money affected their life then really got me excited. And so that's sort of how the evolutionary process got to me starting my own company and then doing all of this kind of stuff is because I saw the impact that I was making on those musicians because at the end of the year, I would do the settlement sheets, right? And I would see, oh my God, I paid this person thousands of dollars. Holy shit. That's like, that paid them probably for their car note for the entire year or something. You know what I mean? Like when you start seeing things in that macro and kind of environment and you sort of zoom out 3000 feet and you kind of take a look at like what you're doing, it, it's really, for me, it's really fulfilling and really exciting. So success for me, these days is that being able to be a provider for people and also uh, finding a way to pay my bills in the process. Yeah, that's a really great insight. And that's something that I haven't really talked about publicly very much. But as a leader, it feels really good to, you know, like you said, to look at your balance sheets and see the impact that you've made when you empower somebody else with, with an opportunity, you know, so whether you're hiring musicians or writers or designers or marketers or whatever it is, the efforts that you've sort of gone out into the world and brought home for your tribe are then feeding more people than just you. And that's a really, that's a really profound and really amazing kind of thing to look back on, especially you know, in contrast to the sort of, I think, the perhaps the vainglory of youth and uh, an attraction to the spotlight, which is, you know, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be recognized, but I think that there's something enduring about focusing on impact. It's, it's, re I didn't realize when I first started my entertainment company, like I was kind of getting, I was doing like little things here and there for people that just knew that I, you know, I was a musician, musician that could tie their shoes and, you know, could, uh, show up on time and wear an appropriate suit. Um, some people f just, naturally found me and sort of organically found me and, and put me in right positions and stuff. And that kind of gave me confidence to step out and finally do this after many years and formally start my company. But I didn't really get it until a few months in where I was like seeing, you know, these gigs come in and like, you know, and I'm making a little bit of money and it's fine, but like I'm seeing the payouts 
going out to these people and I start seeing the impact of that money. Then I see somebody go out and buy a car that I know that I paid a lot of money to the previous year. It, it just, I mean, that is there more joy than that in the world? I, I don't know. For me, that's, it's, it's, pretty high up there. Yeah. I I think that that's a really, that's a really great insight. It's great when there's that reciprocal relationship with someone that you work with and you can tell that it's also like allowing them to live more in the lane of their values and in the lane of their passions and their sort of zone of genius. Like not only are they doing something that they're great at, but they are happy about doing it and they're happy about doing it with you, which is like a triple win. So hundred percent. So let's talk a little bit more about your, about your company, about Shindig My Event, because you kind of alluded to sort of how you got started and sort of how you've seen this sort of like spread out beyond yourself. Yeah. So Shindig My Event was, it sort of came from a natural evolutionary process. Like I had mentioned from just meeting people within the industry, like whether they're in the wedding industry or um, the corporate event side of things, they heard me play somewhere and then they said, Hey, I need you for this event. And it, can you do it? Yes, no. And then I would go do it. And then the relationship was formed. And then they would continue to call me for all these like high end type of events for name brands and stuff where they just, it started out as me in the corner playing guitar for people, you know, because that's just what I had done for so long being heavy with jazz and stuff like that. That's typically where the jazz musician ends up, you know, so I was doing a lot of that. And then it just sort of evolved into, uh, larger scale things, you know, then all of a sudden somebody was like, Hey, can you put together a band for a wedding? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And over the course of time, I built these contacts, these contacts continued to call me. And, and I just finally got to the point where I was like, I have to call this something (laughs) I'm already doing it. Like I need to just legitimize it on paper so that maybe bigger things can happen. And so I finally did. Shortly thereafter, I folded a couple of two two bands into the mix that I own. And then I also took on another band out of Charleston called Super Deluxe. They're really great. And I started representing them just as an agent. They're very well respected in Charleston. So, and also they're breaking into the Atlanta market now too. So I've been doing that for them. But so I started just playing events for people and then it evolved into now me brokering the events. And so I do a lot of weddings, a lot of corporate event type stuff pre pandemic. And then from small to large scale, occasionally I dip my toe into various other things like festivals and stuff like that and organizing actual like production of festivals and stuff like that. So I've kind of got a little bit of hand in that too. So it's kind of all sort of evolved from just me being the guitar player and knowing everybody in town or knowing a lot of people in town that do a variety of things and me sort of like taking those contacts and then rolling them into a chance to be able to provide work for people. And that's kind of like where it all started was that it was just me being able to call my friends that are really great musicians that maybe don't have access to the people that I have access to, to go out and make a really good night of really good pay for a night of work. So that's kind of how it all started. And that's kind of where I've gotten to today. That's awesome, man. You are definitely a connector. You you probably know pretty much everybody in the Atlanta scene, probably most of the people in the Southeast. Uh, And speaking of connecting, Jacob, for those of you guys who don't know, Jacob actually connected me with the people who facilitated the recording of the intro to this podcast. So we have our, our intro music that we recorded over at Diamond Street Studios in Little Five Points with Spencer Garn. And if you guys need a great engineer and a good spot to record, Spencer's really awesome. The space is really cool. It's next door to El Mir, so you can go in for a burrito, beer, 
But yeah, so I do have a selfish question for you. I want to talk to you about your guitar practice routine. Obviously, you probably don't have the hours and hours a day that you used to to jump in and really shed on stuff. But what does it look like for you today? Like, what do you, how much time do you spend and what do you work on? Ideally, on my calendar, when I'm not being interrupted at 7.30 in the morning, or no, from 7 in the morning until 7.15 maybe until 8.15, I'm playing the guitar. Don't always get there. Sometimes I have late nights and I, you know, I have to work and whatever. And sometimes I do it on the late night side of things. But ideally, majority of the time, it happens from 7.15 to 8.15 in the morning when the musician world is kind of quiet. There's not a lot of people reaching out. I mean, people in the business world are talking already, but like the musical things that I do, the coordination for a lot of the bands and stuff like that, you know, that's not really happening until later. So that's like the best way to wake up. I I pour myself a cup of coffee, have my 15 minutes of like, what are the things I absolutely have to do today? And then I go straight for the guitar. And as far as guitar is concerned these days, I've really been into Barry Harris's Six Diminished concept. I don't know that it's necessarily his, but he kind of made it like a digestible for uh, collegiate jazz studies. So I've really been kind of digging into the whole six diminished thing, which is cool. If you don't know what that is, it's basically a major scale, but you're adding people who out here are musicians. It's a major scale. So do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, but there's a half step added between there's a chromatic passage that happens between the fifth and sixth degree of the scale. So it's one, two, three, four, five, flat six, six, seven, one. And so I've been working on a lot of that sort of language. That's been really cool. That's been something I've kind of been nerding out on. And I've been reevaluating my right hand technique and sort of Instagram culture will do this to you. Oh, <laughs> like, Lord. I mean, that's a rabbit hole, right? I mean, you, you look at anybody on Instagram these days, they are shredding their face off, like every one of them. Yeah, no, I, I can't do too much Instagram guitar stuff because <laughs> I feel really bad at guitar, even though I'm not bad at guitar. You're not. But, um, you know, you'll see cats like Tosin, you know, yeah. who are just on there doing the double thump and all the crazy, you know, hybrid picking and selective picking and like guys like, um, there's that cat, I can't remember his name. I think his name is in the Nathaniel and he works at uh, Chicago Music Exchange. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that guy in in, in their videos. Yeah. And he is nasty. Right. Like he's got like, he's like a combo of Danny Gatton and Don Ross. Yeah. It's insane. And yeah, just like Instagram. Wow. Like there's so many great players right now. It's, it's, it's a hell of a time to be a guitar player. The craft of the guitar, like maybe has never been so advanced as far as like just people able to be, people being able to functionally play it and play it on a high level from a technical aspect. Musicality. That's a whole other conversation. People knowing exactly what to play in a session with real live musicians and being able to show up and show out in a moment. I, I, I joke about it sometimes with some of my friends, but like, I haven't really been nervous for a gig, quote unquote, since I did America's Got Talent. <laughs> because after you play to like 17 million people live on TV, it's kind of like, well, we'll, everything else is kind of like, well, okay, it's cool. It's a gig and it's, you know, I'm taking it seriously and everything, but the the nerves really aren't there as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I've never played for an audience of anywhere near that big, but I do remember having that near, near crap my pants moment in high school, playing the Star Spangled Banner at like homecoming or something, you know, with like five or 600 people out there and just, you know, having that feeling of like, what well, if I mess up, 
there's uh, I'm nude here, you know, there's no covering up. Man, I remember the early on when I first got out of AIM and I was like trying to find my way, like just playing guitar for people and um, people had started figuring out that there was this guy that existed with curly hair that was playing guitar and that wasn't horrible. I started getting calls from people to play. And I remember it was like the first real country gig I ever did. I mean, it was so God awful. Like I played so bad that night because I was not equipped for what that required. And I just remember it being so bad. The singer of the band, like, was swearing on stage because I was like missing, I was missing key hooks to songs that like had iconic guitar parts. And I was just like, not, I was like so rattled that I I was like, I kept forgetting them. And he was like so mad at me after the gig. So, I mean, I've, I've been there, (laughs) but thankfully I've evolved a little bit since then, you know? Absolutely. So we're kind of running out of time and I'd love to just keep this conversation going a lot longer. I know that you're also working on a podcast and a YouTube channel. What can you kind of give us a, a quick snip on that as well? Sure. Yeah. So sweetdeet, um, youtube.com slash sweetdeet, or you can go online to sweetdeet.com and that's, uh, S W E E T D E A T. Uh, dot com. Either one of those, I am posting uh, content once a week that's talking about the music business, current music trends, things that might be around the corner, as well as just the overall, like the occasional guitar lesson, which I'm going to be doing a lot more of in the coming year. I'm kind of starting to feel good about my guitar playing again. <laughs> and I feel like just putting a couple of things like no nonsense instructional stuff, like just do this and this is what it is or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to be putting out a lot more of that stuff this year. But every week I post something. Sometimes I get to even two weeks or two posts a week, but usually to at least one. So that's the Sweet D thing. It's all about the current It's all about what's happening. You know, can you believe this? Can you believe that? If you didn't know, this is impacting you, et cetera. So if you're a music fan and you want to learn a little bit more about the music industry, it's really great sort of dipping your toes into that water. If you're just a musician who plays guitar or any of your your instrument all the time and you never listen to the news as it pertains to music news, this is a really great channel for you also. And then the other one is Southern Wedding uh, Professionals. Because I'm so involved in the wedding community with my agency, I decided it was a really cool idea to give my fellow vendors a platform to talk about themselves, their brand, how long they've been in the business, what they do, what makes them unique. And also it helps brides and and other clients uh, or other future potential clients of these vendors to sort of get a feel for who they are personally before they even reach out to them or just gain better insight on their particular brand. So I started that and I can't even remember how long it was ago. I mean, it's been less than a year easily, but that's really taken off. A lot of people are checking it out. Also, a lot of people are um, hitting us up wanting to talk about their brand, which that's the point. You know, I want submissions. So if you're listening to this and you're in the wedding world, hit me up at uh, southernweddingprofessionals.com or you can find the Instagram page as well. There's a YouTube page for that too. But yeah, that's that's a lot of this stuff. And I'm hoping that Sweet Deet, I find a little more time where I can start doing more consistent or not more consistent, but actually start a Sweet Deet podcast specifically for the music industry stuff that I'm doing and sort of like take a different uh, approach or a uh, or a more unified approach out of YouTube and into the podcast world as well. So I'm kind of working on that right now, sort of formulaically how to make that work with my current schedule, but that's, that's coming too. That's awesome, man. Well, this has been a really great conversation, Jacob, and I really appreciate your time today. 
for those of folks, if you, if you're listening right now, please don't swerve. You'll get all the links to this in the show notes. So all the things that Jacob talked about, we will link to here so you can track him down and find out what's going on. Dude, thank you for having me today. You're super sweet. And, uh, I mean, I, I really do appreciate your time. You got it, man. Thanks for listening to Ritual. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone that you think would love it. Special thanks to our producer, Emily Milling, and her team at The Ultimate Creative and our amazing business manager, Erica McCauley. I recorded the intro music for this podcast with Spencer Garn at Diamond Street Studios here in Atlanta. Until next time, I'm Daniel Lamb. And just remember... Everything that you need to be creative is right here with you, within you, in this moment.